welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafta, and today I'll be chatting with Alex Seltzer, CEO and co-founder of Ensure.ai. Ensure.ai is an advanced fraud prevention platform. It is a solution that protects sellers of digital goods, focusing on high-risk domains such as prepaid and gaming. Hi, Alex. Hey, Stacey. How are you? Thank you very much for uh, having me having me here. It's only my pleasure. I'm good. How's your morning going so far? Not too bad. Not too bad. What does the world of Ensure.ai look like at this time of year heading into December? That's uh, actually a great question. Uh, we are, um, you know, a big chunk of our, uh, of our clients are within the gift card or prepaid debit card industry. And some of them are mm-hmm. in gaming. So uh, the last quarter are... Uh, you know, we see a huge spike in traffic. We need to kind of prepare mm. the entire the entire year for uh, for handling that spike in uh, in a reasonable fashion. And uh, you know, now we're seeing billions of dollars going through the system. Um, you know, on an annual basis, it's uh, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. It's also Thanksgiving today in the US. With tomorrow being Black Friday, what does that look like in your world? Yeah, so um, Black Friday has uh, has an impact on some of our clients, but not on all of them. We do have some travel clients that uh, we're seeing. We've seen the last week pick up, and obviously today is going to be uh, almost um, you know almost nothing, and uh, tomorrow is going to be yeah. like three times a normal day, <laughs> which I think is yeah. uh, you know like every other you know every every uh, uh, you know e-commerce uh, uh, business at this, at these days. Um, an interesting thing for us is, you know, we're we're um, uh, uh, we're wearing the white hats, right? We're fighting fraud, um, and it's uh, it's a common mistake, I think, that fraud is higher during this season, and and actually it isn't. It's roughly the same. And oh, really? Percent- yeah, yeah. Percentage-wise, it's smaller because there's a lot more genuine traffic. So, got you. The most important thing is to figure out how not to, you know, how not to uh, deter or decline. Legitimate, uh, uh, legitimate consumers, rather than catch the fraudsters in these days. So it's an interesting, gotcha. uh, an interesting uh, uh, drill to uh, to run. Yes. Before we dive any deeper, do you mind just giving a quick intro into you, your background, and essentially what led you to build Ensure.ai? Sure. So um, you know, my uh, half of my career roughly is uh, with uh, with corporates, and half of it is uh, with startups. I started with uh, with a large uh, Israeli high-tech company uh, at the time, a company called Converse, that uh, ran voicemail. We were the, the, the biggest uh, voicemail vendor worldwide, had more than 50% market share, um, mm-hmm. where I ran a group of uh, somewhere between 100 and, and 250, 300 engineers uh, for a, a pretty long time. I was then uh, uh, brought on board to run a company that a big French company acquired in Israel, a company called the Systems acquired a company called Smarting, and they brought me on board to run that. Uh, again, uh, you know, a mid-sized organization. We were about uh, 350 people worldwide, uh, dealing mostly with uh, with sales of uh, product life, like the management products. And it was very uh, was a very interesting ride uh, for me and for the. And for the company, we went from about thirty million to hundred million in in uh, less than uh, in less than three years. That was a, wow. a very fun ride, and uh, and there basically I started my uh, my uh, journey in, in in the startup world. Um, uh, we we uh, we founded a company called Artisan, a zone for artisans. That was very uh, unique at the time. It was uh, an online uh, farmers market, you could say. And delivering uh, groceries from uh, small, uh, small stores, small farms, 
uh, in different metro areas in the U.S. We uh, we've serviced uh, um, Chicago, Denver, and Dallas at the time. Uh, pretty large business, uh, you know, including the trucks, the, the you know the 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 walking coolers, the warehouses, and all of that, uh, and of course the the technology platform that allows for all of that to happen same day. Um, and then uh, the, the question that the, the, after, after selling that, uh, that business in, in the U.S. to a number of, uh, of grocery chains, I, I came back uh, to Israel. I, I, I was with the family uh, for a few years in the U.S., came back to Israel and uh, was brought on board to run the business of a company called Zeke. And Zeke was actually a marketplace for gift cards which is where I uh, kind of learned how uh, difficult it is to sell uh, digital assets online, uh, which eventually led to the birth of uh, Ensure AI, the current company. Uh, I, I started together with my partner, Steve, uh, three and a half years ago. And, um, and then we basically build, built a company based on a problem we solved for ourselves at Zeke. Um, we, found, uh, we found fraud to be uh, extremely scalable and extremely difficult to uh, to fight in this industry. Um, decided to invest heavily in figuring it out on our own because couldn't find um, solutions out there that, that would provide an efficient enough solution for us. And then yeah. when we realized how how strong uh, the technology we built is, decided to kind of spin it out, brought external funds, uh, uh, acquired the technology and the team, and started insure based on that. So it's uh, it's been a fun ride. Awesome. One theme that seems really prevalent throughout your career is you come into businesses and help them scale. This is a topic we've spoken about over and over again, but I think that what's really different about you is you come into businesses and really try to understand when to scale. It's not about how to, but necessarily understanding when is the right time how do you identify the point at which you can start scaling like what do you look out for so so i think uh, you know it's very different obviously between corporates and 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 startups because the corporates yeah. um, you know you have you have a product it works there's a price list there are sales people and then you know then it's really primarily about execution um, but in, in startups, I think uh, in general, startup is a journey in reducing risks. And it starts with, uh, with reducing the fundamental risk and it you know, does work. So you have an idea. We have no idea whether you know, it, it can be implemented or not. You go, you go out, you uh, raise seed or pre-seed or whatever you know, these mm. rounds are called today, and you create an MVP, you create uh, you know, a minimal viable product. And, and you verify that, yes, your dream can come true, at least from an operational perspective. It does work. And then, uh, and then the second piece is, uh, is what we normally call in the startup world, product market fit. And, and that means that you're able to sell the product, not just give it away for free, but sell it at a price that is lower, if, sorry, at the price that is higher than the cost of producing. So, you know, it's fairly easy to create a business that is very scalable, where you come in, a person gives you one dollar, you give them back two, right? That's going yeah. to be very scalable. However, that's you know that's not a business. That's a, I don't know a charity. So if you want to yeah. see a business, it needs to be the reverse, right? You, someone's going to give you two dollars. It's going to create. You're going to uh, uh, incur a dollar to create whatever value you provide them, and then you are left with some margin. So you you get to product market fit when you have enough. Uh, 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 traction, you you can show that there are enough people that are interested in this. 
if it's a B2C, uh, uh, you know, a business to consumer business, then you need to see traction with consumers. There are enough there that are willing to pay for the product. If you're running a B2B company, then you need to show that there are enough businesses that are interested in that. And there are different ways of figuring it out. It, uh, it can be on the velocity of uh, sales. It could be on the size of the business you reach. But that's really the most important element to identify when the business can uh, start the next phase. So once you have product market fit, the next phase is what we call go-to-market fit. Go-to-market fit means not only can you sell the product to a good number of clients at a, at a, at a profit above whatever it costs you to uh, produce the product, you can also bring them uh, at a cost that is not prohibited. So for instance, uh, you, know, you sell a product for uh, a yearly charge of, uh, of 100, it costs you 50. Um, now, bringing the customer on board may cost you 500. Uh, and then it means that you're going to see the return on your investment in 10 years because you're making $50 yeah. a year. So in 10 years, you'll make a, you know, you, you'll be profitable. That doesn't make sense. You cannot run a business that way. If on the other side, you can, you know, create an ROI within a month or a day, then obviously it's a great business. And the question is really that we call these, uh, uh, you know, factors cap to LTV, customer acquisition costs versus the lifetime value. So you're trying to create a combination where the lifetime value is significantly higher than the customer acquisition cost, and you get to profitability within a short term. And that's when you actually realize that you can scale the business. Because at that point in time, if someone gives you $20, you can make 40 out of it. So better they give you 20 million than you make 40 million. Or you know, higher numbers. So the real question is to identify that point where your product market fit is there, your go-to market fit is there, you've created that balance between acquisition costs and lifetime value. You can generate return on investment within a number of months, depending on the industry. And that's the point where you say, okay, now we're ready to scale. It's very important to identify this, uh, this point because if you start scaling before you reached it, you're going to lose a lot of money without getting the results. Do you think that most startups scale or try or attempt to scale too early or they, they miss the mark and maybe push it out? What do you see as more common? I think, uh, I think more common is they, start to, they try to scale too early. Um, okay. and, and the reason for that is, uh, you know, that's uh, not something that I'm inventing, right? There's the crossing the chasm and the different books that have been written about that. It's really the early adopters. And when you get, um, you know, a, a good uh, bunch of clients that are, you know, that are in love with what you're doing, you may uh, lose sight of the fact that they are the early adopters and they do not represent the mass market. And then when you acquire them, it was fairly easy because they, you know, they felt the pain, they like you, they like the product, whatever. And then getting the other customers at scale is going to cost you a lot more. So your customer acquisition grows. It's a, a common mistake for people to believe that as the more customers you bring on board, the bigger the scale, the lower the customer acquisition is. And that is simply not true. Usually, customer acquisition costs grow, at, at least at the first time, at, at, at the first few, uh, a few years before you become a brand that is well-known, and you can start building on that uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, grow your acquisition. Um, so most of the of the uh, uh, failures we see for companies that happen after they've reached a certain level of product market fit and even a go-to market fit 
is they try to scale too early, not realizing that the customer acquisition costs they're seeing cannot be maintained at scale. Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast, which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. Very interesting. Earlier, you were talking about scaling when you are offering your product for more than what it's costing you. And I can take, for example, there's a digital bank here in South Africa called Discovery Bank. And they are, from what it looks like doing well, they have a ton of, of customers, but they're still making a loss, meaning that it is costing them more to onboard customers than it is for them to be providing the offering. But when you look at that product, it seems like I've from speaking to different investors, there's different ways of approaching it. It's like, let's go gung-ho. Let's put everything we have into this. Let's go. We're going to probably be making a loss for the next, I don't even know, three to five years. And then after that, we'll see an exponential growth in profit. What is your thoughts on that? So, so I think that there are different kinds of uh, strategies behind different kinds of plays on the market. I'll explain what I mean. So I'm more of a traditionalist in my, uh, in my uh, I would say, management style. Um, I don't believe in, uh, in saying, you know, let's get the people, let's get enough, uh, and then figure out how to monetize. It doesn't mean that yeah. it cannot be done because it has been done before very successfully. So it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It, it does. Identifying where I think is an art more than a science, but I might be wrong and, you know, other people could talk to that. Um, we do see uh, um, other plays which are really data plays more than they are anything else. And, and, and there you need to accumulate enough data so that you can start monetizing the data or selling the, the data you have. Uh, we've seen a lot of companies being very successful doing that. And that's a very different play because the product you're selling is, is not really uh, um, what you're looking to be profitable at. You're looking to be profitable on the data you have. And it's a completely different uh, uh, business. Got you. And when that happens, it could be the you know it could be the case for the bank you've just mentioned. I don't know the details, obviously. Um, but again, from my experience, and and you know what I'm good at, right? What I'm good at is uh, at uh, figuring out uh, a, a, a path to profitability that is yeah. uh, that is yeah. based on you know on on this this uh, uh, balance and scaling uh, you know customer acquisition and lifetime value. Which is very different than these neo banks we're seeing, the the new insurance yeah, yeah, companies yeah. we're seeing, and all of that that are all generating of course. a loss. Yeah. And you started doing this at a really young age. You were growing a business line from ninety to two hundred and fifty in your like mid to to late twenties. What advice do you have for young leaders, either for those like aspiring to run a department or those currently doing so? Because that's huge and, and very impressive. Yeah, first, thank you very much. It's uh, it's uh, you know it's a bit of luck uh, and, and and I think a bit of uh, uh, more luck than talent. 
I was, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, join a company at, uh, at a huge growth uh, spiral, and, uh, and 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 did well uh, while I was there. Um, but but I think um, I think the key takeaway for me was uh, you have to figure out what your own management style is, what are your core values, and find a way to stick to that rather than find a way to adapt to the organization you're you know you're in. So you know, I started running the organization uh, um, uh, that was about ninety people when I started uh, in my mid in my mid twenties, and and indeed, uh, you know, they they already had some level of culture in there. One of the main things I think uh, we've done uh, during the first couple of years is uh, we've honed our culture much better. Um, we've done that very, uh, uh, I would say, systematically through a process we did together with. Uh, 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 with a psychological, uh, uh, you know, organizational uh, psychologist, um, I was very young and felt, you know, that uh, uh, the, the the weight of responsibility, and, and knew that I don't have the experience uh, uh, to run the business and and achieve success without getting advice. Uh, so we've brought uh, someone who worked to help me with that. Uh, we worked together for over a year uh, to hone the culture, and I think um, my, my best advice would be first don't. You know, don't uh, uh, don't think you need to do it all on your own. And number yeah. two, find your core values early on so that you can shape the organization based on that. Interesting, because what I have found in speaking to a lot of young leaders is that in the early days, you kind of either mimic what you've seen in the leaders you've had in your life and I think what's challenging is understanding the way you would like to lead if you've not seen that happen like you get completely different styles how would you advise someone goes about finding what their leadership style is without being a copycat or just mimicking what they've seen in in their current boss or or previous boss yeah. So, 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 yeah. I think that experience and seeing, uh, you know, other leaders behave is uh, is crucial and and is uh, shaping our own values. You know, it starts with the family, obviously, right? It starts when you're, uh, I don't know, six months or a year old, obviously. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that the, the the most important element to realize is that you need to figure out what works for you, because if you try to mimic others in things that don't work for you. You you mm. fail miserably. That's what I found, and I I, I did a yeah. large share of failures yeah, yeah. in that domain. And when you try to do something that doesn't work for you, let's say you know you believe in uh, you know taking decisions, um, you know uh, clear cut decisions, fast, and uh, and that that's what works for you, etc. And then you come into an organization where they take the decisions by consensus, and everything takes you know a very long time. And you figure out, okay, let's give it a test, let's give it a try, it makes sense. Uh, I can understand logically why it could, you know, uh, help me harness the, the the power behind the organization if I do that collectively, yeah. etc. And then, at least for me, I, I I have to admit that was a, a huge failure when I tried something like that. And it's uh, mm. it's it's, uh, it's and it doesn't work for everyone. It, it works. Uh, yeah. It works for certain individuals that are built in a certain manner. Right? We're we're born a certain way. Uh, some things we can yeah. hone, you know, a little bit. But uh, we have to we have to go with what uh, with what we're given, and and make the best out of that. In your previous businesses, you mentioned that you had almost a commando culture, with like long hours, 
and almost what I say you have to do. Where was that? Was that learned or did you feel like that was something that you saw worked in the past? How was that created? So, so I think that's a mentality I, uh, I uh, kind of learned from, from campers. I was always a hard worker. Mm. Um, my, mm. my father uh, always believed in, uh, in hard work and, you know, making sure that you are, uh, that you, uh, you know, you're a straight A student. Nothing is, you know, nothing below that is good enough. So, you know, excellence was always important to me. Getting to excellence, you know, is in, in the business world is way more complicated than when you're a student, obviously. Um, and, and the results are, uh, you know, not a test, uh, 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 not a grade or a test or whatever. It's the, the results are eventually in, in, in dollars. So, and, and that combined with the, with the leadership style I've seen in Converse and kind of instilled in me, I think, this kind of culture where you have to make sure you do everything to the best of your ability. You go the whole nine yards and, and that's the only way you, have, you stand a chance of succeeding. And uh, I adopted that very early on, I think, uh, I, I would say with my first management job. You briefly mentioned when we, we first met that you felt like you made a mistake coming into one of your new positions and you were running it the same way as you ran your previous business, what would you have done differently? And now when you enter a new environment, how do you approach it? Yeah. So, so really, um, I think, um, the, the, the learning for me there was, uh, uh really, uh, yeah, the, the one that I mentioned earlier, you have to be true to your own values and, <clears throat> and, um, very early on at, at Converse, when I started running, uh, uh the, the 90 to 100 people organization, about a year into it, uh, I was asked to merge two organizations um, um, into one, to basically take over another group of, uh, of, uh, of engineers. Uh, and, and it grew the organization I'm responsible for overnight from roughly about 100 people to about, about 250. And, and at that point, um, I did not continue to run it as a, as a commando, I would say. But I tried mm. this at that point. I tried to kind of uh, 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 figure out what are the discrepancies or the differences between the cultures because there were significant differences in the culture. And I tried to adapt some of my older organization's culture into the into the into the or a new organization we were kind of merging with. Uh, I've uh, created a management team that was uh, basically half from my uh, original group and half from this new group. And, and, th and that's when, uh, you know, I didn't stay true to, to my values and try to create an environment that is different. And, and that's the point where I felt, I think today from a managerial perspective, it's my biggest failure today. Uh, we overcame it, but it took us probably six months of, I would say, very, being very inefficient uh, uh, yeah. in what we're doing because, we, because I wasn't very certain of my way forward. I didn't take the decisions in the way I thought I should. I took the decisions in the way I thought that the other organization would feel more comfortable with. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that, it, it simply fails. And, and that's my biggest learning, I think. That's a tough one. Yeah. No, that's a tough one. And you, you, you can, yeah, you speak about values quite often and, and culture. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. How have you at Ensure.ai lived by this philosophy and Yearing what you've gone through and your career journey, what are you doing now to make sure you live by that? 
so first of all, it's very difficult to do that because um, uh, uh, the, te the test I have for myself is very simple. You wake up in the morning, you ask yourself, are you proud of what you're achieving and the way you're behaving? And, and unfortunately, most days the answer is no, um, which means you need to do better. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and for me, uh, I'll share with you a little bit about you know, the values I'm trying to instill and how we do that. But for me, it's really all about uh, leadership behavior, right? It's it's about the management team and what they believe in and how they and how they behave. It's not about what they say. It's not about you know the signs we put on the you know in the in the corridors. It's uh, it, it has nothing to do with speaking. It has only to do with behaving and doing. And that's yeah. that's the first thing to understand, I think, because people see. And even as very young kids, you know, you, you see your parents do stuff, you hear them talk about stuff, you're influenced by what they do, not by what they speak about. And, and yeah. it's true for everybody. So I'll give you a few of the core values we try to live by and, and ensure and, and the way we do that. So one thing that I strongly believe in is that uh, uh, people within a certain organization are either engines or weights. There's no in-between. It's very easy to identify who's an engine, and that means that everybody else is awake. And, wow. Wow. And that, that's my belief. And what we do there is either we find a way to turn this around and someone becomes an engine, and it does happen, or, or, we, you know, or we let go. And uh, I think that... Uh, the, and it's better for both, uh, for both, uh, for both sides because... If someone is in an environment where he doesn't excel, it doesn't mean that he's, you know, he's not doing something right. It's just the wrong environment. I've seen a lot of people that you take them out of one environment, put them in another, and they thrive. So for me, it's really about making sure at every given point in time that you can identify who are your engines, who are your weights, and manage. That's extremely important. And, 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 and behaving that way means that you share that view with your, your your management team and you keep on asking the question is you know if, if someone's not performing well enough you know is he away if he if he is away what are you doing about that and, yeah. and being very adamant about doing that so that's one example another example that i find extremely important for startups is um, uh, normally when you are in a corporate environment uh, your responsibility and accountability are very close to each other and usually, if you have you know a, a rectangle that represents your responsibility, the next guy just beside you has another rectangle which has a little bit of an overlap with yours. Right? There's a little bit of an overlap between your responsibilities, and it is built that way so that nothing falls through the cracks. In startups, what happens normally is that if your rectangle starts and ends in a certain place, the next rectangle is going to be you know is going to be a miles away. There's a huge gap between you two. No one's yeah. responsible for it today because you don't have enough resources to do that. And, and therefore, the mentality in, in, in startups needs to be when you see something falling through the cracks, the first thing you need to do is not to ask yourself, okay, so who needs to take care of it? But the first thing, you, you pick it up, you pick the ball, you do what needs to be done, and then you figure out, okay, so what did we miss? Who needs to be yeah, responsible yeah, for this, etc. Yeah, and, and and that's an essential learning for the entire organization, right? Until we get, from my experience, before you get to a few hundred people, you never get to a set to a position where you know responsibilities are 
clear enough, you know, for, for mm. almost everything to fall in, you know, in someone's responsibility. So it's a, it's a long-term uh, uh, process where uh, yeah. before you reach 300, 400 people, you're not there yet. Um, and instilling that culture of you see something fall, you don't ask yourself whose responsibility it is. You assume it's yours. You take it, you fix it, then you move on. That's a piece that I think yeah. is very, it's very difficult for people sometimes to, uh, uh, to adjust to because it's almost uh, a counterintuitive. Why would you do something that yeah. woman told you you need to do, right? It's not your responsibility. Mm. Why do that? You're not going to be good at doing it, right? But the problem is you need to understand if you're not doing it, no one else is going to be doing that. And that's going to hurt the company. An analogy that I recently heard about environments can be good for different people is take boiling water. This is the environment. You take an egg, an egg in boiling water goes hard. A potato in boiling water goes soft. So it's not necessarily that environment's good or bad. It's what environment is best for you. And that just for some reason clicked in my head. Um, I think we see these trends and this is really, really common on TikTok is you see these trends of this is a really bad environment and this is a really good environment, but everyone learns and grows or in the case of an egg and a potato goes hard and goes soft in a different environment. And you just got to tap into yourself and really understand what do you need? Um, and that was really just something I needed to, yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that, uh, you know, as leaders are, our, our biggest responsibility is to provide uh, the people around us with the tools to accept, right? That's what we need mm. to do. If we do that well, then everything else falls in place. And figuring out what everybody needs to excel is, is not easy. And, yeah. and, and, and sometimes, you know, some people cannot excel in your environment. You need to figure that out and, and not be uh, shy about it, but, you know, do what's necessary. And, uh, exactly. These are not easy decisions, but you have to, uh, you know, you, you have to be very strict on that, especially when you're growing, when you're growing an organization. Couldn't agree more. Alex, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? So the best place would be on LinkedIn. Just uh, click my, you know, uh, search for Alex Zetzer and you'll, uh, you'll find us. Fantastic. Thanks again, Alex. Thank you very much, Stacey. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.